we'll go into part five of our <clears throat> series that we've been teaching on the last few weeks, do the hard things, and we'll, we'll wrap up or conclude this message uh, today. Uh, so last week we started out discussing what are some of those hard things that we're called to do. And the first one that we talked about is to deny the flesh in order to walk in the spirit, which can be very difficult, right? To deny the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. But what's more difficult than that is trying to do both. Because it's impossible to walk in the spirit and the flesh. If you're trying to walk in the spirit and the flesh, you're just walking in the flesh. Does that make sense? And so we have to start to become masters at saying no to our flesh so that we can say yes to the spirit of the Lord, which is another benefit of fasting. You're starting to put your flesh in its place. Amen. The second thing we talked about is that it can be hard to trust God when we are out of control of the circumstances and situations. It can be hard to trust God when we can't see clearly what's going on. It can be hard to trust God when what's going on doesn't make any sense to us, when we can't make sense of it. Because there'll be things in life that happen that you just, you can't explain. And in those moments, we have to say, you know what? I, I trust God. I can't explain it. I, I don't, he, he hasn't spoke to me about it. He's not given me clear direction on why this is going on. I just have to trust him. And that can be difficult. That can be hard because we like to be in control and we like to understand and, and we like to be able to explain certain things. But there's just sometimes things in life that you're just, you're not going to understand. You're not going to be able to explain. And we have to be okay with that. Amen? Amen. And then lastly, we talked about it's in, it can be hard to leave the familiar place that God is calling us out of. Right? I'm not saying all familiar places you need to leave, but there can be familiar places that we're in that God is saying, hey, come out from that because it's dysfunctional and it's not allowing you to grow in your relationship with me. You know, and when God is calling us out of a place, we need to be willing to go. That can be scary. That can be hard. That can stretch us and pull on us and impact us in, in ways that we think are actually negative, but really are working good for us. So when we hear the Lord saying, hey, stop that or come out from that or come away from those people, then we need to be willing to leave that familiar place. Now, familiar places are not always just physical. They can also be emotional, mental, uh, relational. Uh, they can be spiritual. There's some people who are in here who were, who were raised in church, but they were raised in spiritually abusive environments. And God has called, and called them out of that. And it was difficult for them to come out, but, but they came out and they're experiencing the blessing of the Lord. And like I said last week, we can be in these places that are dysfunctional, but they're comfortable because we know it. We know how to function in that dysfunction. We know the right language and the, the way of moving around. And, and God is saying, no, come out from that. I have better things for you. I have a better purpose for you. Amen? Amen. Now, when we're willing to do this, 
we'll walk in the fullness of the calling of God that is upon our lives. And we'll set ourselves up to receive the legacy and the inheritance that God desires to give to us. But we've got to be willing to do the hard things. And so today I want to give you three more that we're going to discuss and then we'll close out this series. The first one is forgive. It can be hard to forgive. No, 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 that's easy for me. You just haven't been hurt enough. Right? If you don't struggle to forgive some people or some groups of people, you just haven't been hurt enough. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. But sometimes it can be very difficult for us to forgive. We know it's the right thing to do. We know it's what God has called us to do, but it's just hard. Why? Because it still hurts. Now, I don't believe in this forgive and forget. You don't have to forget in order to forgive. Right? In fact, when we say God forgives our sins and forgets about, that's not true. It says he remembers it no more which means it's over there in the corner. And when he deals with you, Jermel, when he deals with me, when he deals with you, Josiah, he's not dealing with us and our junk. He's saying, I'm dealing with you today. I'm interacting with you right now, Crosby. I'm choosing not to remember your past because I love you. And my focus, this is the Lord, is on your future, is on your destiny. That's how God forgives he, does, he's, he, he, he can't forget. He's God. Right? And to be honest with you, I'd rather him not. I feel more of a son in the fact that he can choose to remember, but he says, I'm, I'm not going to do that, Cam. It's about me and you today. Amen? So we have to forgive. Yes, even those who really, really hurt you. Even those who have violated you. Even the people who abandoned you. They don't deserve it. It's not about what they deserve. And let's not talk about what people deserve because what we deserve is hell. But because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God, when we place our faith in Christ, we receive eternal life. So let's not get into what people deserve. Because none of us deserve to be able to stand before a holy God. Let's forgive. Amen? Jesus dealt with this in talking with his disciples. And I want to read this in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say up to you, uh, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Let me pause there for just a second. Peter thought he was being really generous in saying seven times. 
And really, according to the Old Testament and Jewish tradition, he was. Because when you read, like, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it's, there's this three deal that is, that is in there, right? Like, three times. So Peter is like, he's extending an abundance of grace, saying, like, seven times? And Jesus is saying, that's a good start, Peter. But I don't say seven, but I say 70 times seven. That's not for us to do the math. What Jesus is saying is just forgive. Just forgive. It doesn't matter how many times they've done the same thing to you. Just forgive. I have a little magnet that is in uh, on my bathroom mirror, and it says 70 times 7. And I look at that every single day. I look at that every single day, brushing my teeth 70 times. Okay, is my heart clean? Right? Washing my hands. Okay, is my heart clean? I see that multiple times a day, 70 times 7. Now let's keep reading in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made, payment be made. Verse 26, and the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. This is a really powerful parable example that Jesus has given us. I was doing some research, right? Because it talks about him owing uh, 10,000 talents to the master. And so it's like, Lord, what, what is, what's the value of a talent, right? And so in doing some research, I found an article by Dr. Jude Davis, who's the chair of uh, Christian Studies and Philosophy at uh, Bryant College. In, in an article he wrote in 2015, he says, a talent is 6,000 denarii or 20 years of daily wages for a six-day work week. Today, a talent would be $348,000. So a talent is worth 6,000 denarii, which equates to one day's of work, one day's uh, work. In our dollars, $348,000. And this guy in this parable owed 10,000 of those. So in doing the math, 348,000 times 10,000 is just under $3.5 billion. That's a lot. That's what I would call an unpayable debt for most of us. Is, is Bill Gates in here or Jeff Bezos? Right? Some of the wealthiest people in the world that we know of, they would not be able to pay this debt. Definitely a man's wife and kids and stuff would not be able to be sold to cover $3.5 billion worth of debt. Right? 
I know your kids are like the most precious thing on planet Earth. No one's giving you $3.5 billion for them. Right? Although their value is more than that. Amen? Don't worry, Ellen. Don't, you're, you keep your head up. I was like, what? I'm not worth $3.5 billion? You are. So what do we do when we have an unpayable debt? We cry out to the master for mercy. That's what we do. We cry out to the master for mercy. Now with that in mind, I want to read verses 26 and 27 again. And I want you to think about this and what Jesus is laying out for us. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, this servant had a great debt that he had no ability to pay. You should see yourself in this. Because we come into relationship with Jesus Christ with a great debt that we have zero ability to pay. In fact, it would be easier for us to pay back $3.5 billion than to pay Jesus the debt that we owe him. Think about that for a second. So this servant had a great debt that he had no ability to pay. The master made a judgment, a righteous judgment at that. Okay, he can't pay it. Sell him, his wife, his kids, and all his stuff that a payment can be made. Not that the debt can be paid off, but that there just can be a payment on the debt. But the servant responded with a ridiculous plea. Let's read it again in verse 26. He says, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. I'm taking some time to lay this out because it's going to be powerful when you see something here. That's a ridiculous plea. Have patience with me, master. I'll repay $3.5 billion. You make $60,000 a year. How many lifetimes do you have to live to pay back $3.5 billion? You make $250,000 a year. How many lifetimes do you have to, you make 2.5 million a year. How long is it going to take you to pay back that debt? And he has, this servant has a ridiculous plea. He falls down at the feet of the king and he says, be patient with me and I will repay all. Then the master, it says, was moved with compassion and that led him to releasing the servant of his debt. Let's read that one more time. Verse 27. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now here's this servant saying, be patient with me and I will repay it all. Here's the king saying, you're nuts. You, you, you can't do it. You do not have the ability. You don't have the lifespan. You're, it, it's impossible And in the master seeing 
The sincerity of the servant's heart saying, be patient with me and I will repay it all. The master is now moved with compassion. And what that means is that he had a deep inner yearning of sympathy towards this servant. And what does that lead him to do? I'm going to release you. That means make him fully free and pardon him. And I'm not just going to make you fully free and pardon you. I'm also going to forgive the debt. I'm going to cancel the debt. $3.5 billion. And here we are. Those people over there at XYZ, they hurt my feelings. I just can't forgive them. My father walked out on me. I just, I can't forgive him. You don't know how those people hurt me. I just can't forgive them. And this is what Jesus is saying. Let's go back in verse, uh, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is how the kingdom operates. Of which you and I are citizens. And so if we have this master who will forgive $3.5 billion of debt. Who are we to hold an offense against someone else? for how they have sinned against us. I know, I know how some of your minds are working. Yeah, so what, I'm just supposed to let people walk all over me? Be patient, we're gonna get to that. But it can be difficult, church, to forgive. But I can tell you this, we're citizens of a kingdom and we serve a king who is willing and able to operate out of compassion towards a people, you and I, that owe a debt impossible for us to pay. How can I be a beneficiary of that and not give that out to someone else? Does that make sense? How, how, can, how can someone be generous to me and then I'm stingy to others? Right? That's crazy. That doesn't make sense. Especially for citizens of the kingdom, especially as children of the most high God. So what does it look like when we choose not to forgive? Well, Jesus addresses that too in verse 28. He says, but the servant, because he's been forgiven, but the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So this wasn't a small debt that this other servant owed to this servant that was forgiven. A hundred denarii, that's a hundred days of work. Right? Think about if you went to work and your boss didn't pay you for a hundred days worth of hard work. And keep in mind, this is a six-day work week, not this wimpy one we have in America that's five. Right? It's a six-day work week. A hundred days worth of work is owed to this servant that was forgiven. So he takes a guy by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, 
but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that, uh, saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all, uh, until he should pay all that was due to him. Let me just stop there for a second. Because did you see in verse 32 what Jesus called a person who is unwilling to forgive another person. You wicked servant. Why is it wicked? Because you've been forgiven much. Because you cried out for mercy to me and I forgave you of your unpayable debt. This debt is actually payable. And you couldn't respond in the same way that I responded to you. It's wicked. And so what does he do? Bind him up, cast him in to prison, to the torturers until he can pay it all. Well, he's not going to be able to. It's, it's impossible. Now, remember what I said to you. Jesus said, what I'm about to tell you is how the kingdom functions. So let's read the last verse, verse 35. Actually, verse Verse 34, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom operates. You won't forgive from your heart your brother, nor will you be forgiven. Pastor Charles, but it's hard. I know. I know. And it doesn't even, it, it not just is it hard to do it initially, it's hard to maintain forgiving someone. Because something comes up and it triggers and those emotions and those floods of emotions start to come back and you have to forgive them all over again. Or you, someone brings it up to you and, and, and you start to feel that pain again and you have to forgive them all over again. But here's my question to each one of us in this room and those watching online. How do you want to be forgiven? Do you kind of want to be forgiven? Or do you want to be fully forgiven? Do you want to be, what did he say of the servant? Released and forgiven of your debt. Then you better start working on releasing and forgiving others of their debt. That's so hard. Not with everybody, right? The person who cuts you off in traffic, ah, I can forgive them, Right? Me and Josiah were going to uh, Milwaukee for him to do a training last summer, and we're sitting at this light, and I can see in my rearview mirror, this woman's not paying attention. And we're sitting at a light, and I mean, she's, she's not even slowing down. It's like, she's about to hit us. 
And sure enough, she smacks into the back of our car. So it's like, all right, let me get out. And I get out and there's dogs running all around in her car. And now I'm ticked because it's like, no offense to all you dog people, but you're, you're messing with these stupid dogs and you put me and my son's life in jeopardy. We're sitting at a stoplight. You're going about 40 miles an hour, right? But I was able to forgive her in about five minutes. Seriously. Once she got out the car and she's apologizing, I'm so sorry. I was distracted by my dogs. It was totally my fault. You know, it's, it's like, you know what? I, I forgive you. Me and my son are fine. My car is tore up, but it's just a car. It's just plastic and metal. Who cares? Are you okay? Are your dogs okay? <laughs> All right. Let's exchange information and we'll get this all fixed. I was able to forgive her quickly. But when you bring up my father, man, my wife used to tell me, I think your dad not being in your life is like messed you up. It's like, get out of here with that. How can you, how can something you never had mess you up? Then I started getting older. That was in the 20s, my 20s when she told me, you know, when you're in your 20s and you young people need to understand this, you think you know everything and you're, that's probably the dumbest time of your life. For real. You're going to look back at your 20s and be like, man, I was an idiot. You're going to be calling your parents, young people saying, mom, dad, forgive me. For what? I was just stupid. Right? For real. Take my word for it. But as I started getting into my 30s, it was like, man, she's right. Like, I, I've got this real issue with my dad and it's bleeding into my, my marriage. It's bleeding into the way I raise my kids. It's bleeding into everything. And it's like, but God, he should have been there for me. This is not right. Everyone else, not everyone else, but in my mind, everyone else has their father. I'm, I'm trying to navigate through life by myself. And I had to get to the place where I forgave him. And I forgave him. I was at the return and the Lord gave me heavenly perspective. And it was like, yes, I, I, can, I can really release him. But sometimes things would come up and I would start to feel that unforgiveness again. No, I released him. I have released him. I, I forgive him. Right? Some of you have been through some terrible things. Physical abuse, Emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, all, all kinds of different stuff that I can't wrap my mind around. But I'm telling you, with all the much compassion as I can muster, we have to forgive them. We have to release them. Not for them, for us. We have to release them. We have to find a way to let them go because we've been forgiven an unpayable debt so since we have received, we have to also give to others, right? So what do you do if you're struggling to forgive someone? Here's, here's some things that have worked for me in my situation with my father. Pray for that person. Like genuinely pray for them, not about them, for them. Bless that person, meaning speak well of them. 
right? If you have an opportunity, you know, to, to, to say anything, say, say good things about them, right? When Stacy and I were, were dating and engaged, her mother and I, we didn't like each other. And the Lord said to me, I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this woman. Why does she have this problem with me? And the Lord said, it's not her, it's you. How, how's it me? You're always saying negative things about her. Yeah, but I've never told her to her face. He said, yes, but your words are creating conflict in that environment. I said, Lord, I'll never say another bad thing about her. I'll bless her. And I'm not joking, within two weeks, that relationship was mended. So if you're struggling to forgive, bless the person. Speak well of them, right? Find something about them, right? Like my dad wasn't around, but you know what? I'm here because of him. Lord, I thank you for giving me a father. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. The third thing you can do is you can ask the Lord to give you his perspective on the matter. Because sometimes God can show you some things that you haven't considered. And when God gives you his perspective, then it changes the way you see that person. I remember Stacy and I were in this heated discussion, let's put it that way. And I'm saying, I can't do this marriage thing, Lord. And he says to me, now you understand what your father was dealing with. Marriage is hard and he didn't have me. So why are you holding it against him that he left? God wasn't saying he was right. He was just giving me a a, a different perspective. And in that moment, it was like, that was actually the start of me forgiving him. So ask the Lord, for his perspective on the matter. Then consider how much you have been forgiven of. I know some of you are perfect, right? So the Lord forgave you that one white lie you told when you were two days old, because that's the only wrong thing you've ever done. That's still super offensive to God. But consider all that you have been forgiven of. And then lastly, consider how you want to be forgiven. I want to be fully forgiven. So when I stand before the Lord, I don't want there to be any unforgiveness in my heart at all towards anybody. I don't care who they are or how much they hurt me. I want it all gone because I want to be fully forgiven. I need forgiveness. So I better give it. Amen? can be a hard thing but we're called to do the hard things. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the next one. Love people. Oh, that's not hard. Okay, let me put it this way. Love those people that have hurt you. In, In America, in 2022, love those people who vote differently from you. Right? Love those people who think abortion is okay. Love those people. Love Bill and Steve who say they're married. Love the Muslim, the Buddhist. Love the atheist. Love them. 
doesn't mean you have to agree with their lifestyle and their decisions. It just means you love them. Now, now let me say this before I get too far into this. You only have to love those people that Jesus loves. Okay, I'm glad some of you are laughing because you, some folks was like, okay, cool. Who are those people? People. People. Hitler, Stalin, Castro, name them. Your next door neighbor. He loves them. Even if the scripture says that God hates them, right? Because we, someone's thinking right now, well, the Bible says, Jacob, I have loved and Esau, I have hated. That means I've chosen Jacob and I did not choose Esau. That's what that means. Doesn't mean he literally hated him. It just means Jacob is the one that I chose. So if you read in scripture and you think you hear God saying he hates someone or hates a group of people, it's not the people that he hates. He might hate their deeds, but he loves all people. How can he hate someone that was created in his image and likeness, that was designed to reflect who he is in the earth? That would be like you hating one of your kids. And I got to be careful saying that because there might be some parents listening or in this room that hate some of their kids. That's wrong. We've got to love everyone. Everyone we have to love. I, I, I just, I've got to be transparent with you and I'm running out of time, but during the summer of 2020, man, my love was really, really tested because there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, There's a lot of things you were seeing on the news that were being done to people who look like me that was hard to see. And then I had my brothers and sisters in Christ who don't look like me saying things like, yeah, but he was a criminal. Yeah, but all he needed to do was obey the cops. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I'm saying, no, you're missing it. Like, I can't see that and not see Josh and Josiah. So it's hurtful to me to see that. Right? The situation happened in Georgia with Ahmaud Aubrey, who was not breaking any laws. And the first thing, people who don't look like me, I'm not saying all, but a healthy majority, they want to dig into, well, what's his criminal background? As if that makes it right. And I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters in Christ. To the point where I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to pastor. I don't want to be a part of it. Can it just be me and you? Because these people don't even have enough love for me to just listen to the fact that that is hurtful for me to see. Then you got all the political stuff dropped on top. It just was ugly. It was, it was tough, man. My love was really being tested. I had to stand up here on Sunday mornings and preach. And I've got this conflict in my heart. So I had to like really get before the Lord and say, Lord, get get my heart right. Get my heart right. 
And he started to show me like, you, you can't expect someone to understand something they don't have to deal with. You got to be patient with them. Just like I was patient with you. Just like Pastor Gordon and Pastor Derezette were patient with you and your wife. And as I start to get my heart right, what God starts to do is surround me with people who don't look like me that actually had an ear to listen and would respond in love. Not saying that they would agree with everything because that's not what I was asking. Just have enough love for me to listen to me, help you understand why that is hurtful. And as I got my heart right, as I got my love, uh, love life, and I mean that in the right way, right, in order, God started to show me people in the church. He started to surround me with people in this church and other churches and in the world who would respond in love. I'm just telling you, church, if me as someone who every single good thing that has happened to me in my adult life has started in the church, I don't understand people who want to leave the church. I don't. I'm not saying breakthrough covenant church. I don't understand people who want to just have their own little thing at home. I don't get that because every single good thing that has happened to me, Tony, in my adult life has started in the house of God. I don't understand why people would want to leave. But during the summer of 2020, man, I was, I was starting to understand that. And I thank God that he used the people in the house of God to start to heal my heart. Amen? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, Jesus says, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is telling us to respond in love, no matter who they are or what they've done, right? In verse 44, uh, but I say to you, love your enemies, love your adversaries. That's what enemies mean, your adversaries. Those who are always persecuting you, who are just, they're adversarial to you. Jesus is saying, love them, love them. Want their good, like you want good for your friend, right? Not only does he say that, but he says, bless those who curse you. They're cursing you, bless them. Nah, Lord, they're cursing me. Can I return curses? Can I call down fire from heaven upon their heads? 
When the disciple says that, he's like, chill. You don't even know what spirit you're operating in right now. I didn't come to destroy life. So he's saying love to the point where you bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. I'm not going to do that. This, this is me. I'm not going to do that for those people. I know what they're saying behind my back. I'm not helping them out. And I've had to grow through that. And that's something I have to consistently remind myself to do. That can be hard for me to do good to those who hate me. But that's what Jesus is saying we need to do. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What's it mean to spitefully use you? Well, it means to insult, to slander, or to falsely accuse. Pray for them. See, when I was talking about forgiving, I said, I'll come back to that. And it's, it's, it's closely tied to love as well. You don't have to have intimate relationship with these people who are persecuting you, who are, who are cursing you, who are doing all these things, but, but you can pray for them. You can pray for them. And no one should be a doormat. No one should keep themselves in a toxic situation. Remove yourself from that. I've had to do that with, with family members and, and, and other people in my life. I've had to remove myself from their lives. And I say this with all humility, and you can say the same thing. They don't understand the blessing that I am to their life. And so I have to remove my physical presence. I just got to pray for them because I still love them. It hurts me, man, that they do me like this. It really hurts. But I love them. Even though they're falsely accusing me, even though they're slandering my name, even though they're lying on me. I got to pray for them. I can't be in relationship to where I give them more ammunition to do what they're doing. But I can pray for them because I love them. Right? I'm not telling you to be a doormat. I'm not telling you to keep people in your life who just tear you down. But when you create that distance, pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. Keep them on the Christmas card list. Right? No, I ain't sending one there. Keep them on the Christmas card list. Right? I know this is hard. It's hard. This is difficult stuff. But we're called to do the hard things. And what is this really all about? Well, it says it right there in verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, which means complete and mature in godly character. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Therefore, you shall be complete and mature in godly character, just as your father in heaven is perfect. So when I operate in love, even towards those who persecute me, hate me, you know, slander me, I'm operating like my father who's in heaven. Because once again, when I was out in the world living my life, 
it was the equivalent to God as someone slandering my name. As a person slandering my name and persecuting me and hating me, me living the lifestyle that I live was as offensive to our father. Amen? Amen. I hope it's quiet in here today because this is hitting home. Let's look at the last one. The last thing we need to do, the last hard thing, and it's not, this isn't like the last in terms of we've, we've, we've done it all. We've named all the hard things. Just the last that I'm talking about here. I mean, we could teach this every Sunday. But the last thing we're going to talk about is have an endurance mindset. Meaning don't give up. Don't give up on your Christian walk. Don't give up on your love life. Don't give up on your, your forgiveness life. Don't give up on, on, on all these different things that we've talked about. Don't give up. Continue going. When you feel like quitting, link arms with the brother or sister in Christ and be transparent with them. Man, I feel like giving up. I remember during 2020 calling Doc and saying, man, I'm telling you. Right? And thank God he would have some wisdom for me. Call my pastor. This is how. And he's like, yep, Charles, but guess what? You're not of, you're living in the United States, but you're a citizen of the kingdom. So you have to operate differently. Nah, Pastor G, I ain't trying to hear that right now. I want to hear that I'm right. (laughs) I want to hear that I have a right to be this angry and I have a right to. No, but you don't. But you don't. You don't. Not in the kingdom. All right, Pastor G. All right. Pray for me. <laughs> so we have to have this endurance mindset. Don't give up. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. It says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconum, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me and he will deliver us. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't even have to be living godly, but if you just have a desire to live godly in Christ, persecution is a way of life. It's coming, right, Aaron? Persecution is coming. Just because you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, Paul is writing this to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he's giving him some specific instruction. But this applies to you and I. That persecution and hardship is just a way of life. Endure it. Keep going. Don't give up. It comes with the territory. Man, I, I, I really wish it was true that when we get saved, just everything gets easy. Right? Like we just get promotions on our job and there's an extra million dollars added to our bank accounts. Everything that's sickness in our body just goes, you know. I, I, I wish, but that's not how it works. That's just not how it works. 
And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the suffering, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And when I read that, I say, wow, what is this glory going to be? And then I had an experience a few years ago. I'm going to close out with this. So Doc or, or Chris, whoever, could you come up and play? But, but I, I'm thinking about the hardships that I've dealt with. And, and, and what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Because in 2018, I think it was, we went to Cambodia. My first trip, my wife's third, I think. And we pull up to this house. And out of this house runs about 20 little girls from the ages of 17 to 3 who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. They've been sold into that mess by family members. For $300, 500 bucks. And they're coming out of the house and they're excited to see us and we're spending time with them. And I'm saying, Lord, where is their bitterness? I mean, where, where is, their, where is their, their problems and their hatred and their anxiety and their fear and their... Then you hear Pastor Lenny telling us stories. Yeah, when we got this one, she would wake up at night screaming because this was the time of day where they would come in and abuse her. And so at that same time, every night, she would wake up screaming until we showed her love and she encountered Jesus. And so I'm thinking of what these girls, the nightmare that these girls dealt with. And Paul saying that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. I'm going to endure whatever I have to endure in order to see that. Because this word that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. It doesn't just apply to me. It applies to those girls who've gone through nightmares that I can't even start to wrap my mind around. My friend, Pastor Robert Kazazi in Uganda tells the story of when he was 11 years old. Idi Amin and his army came to his village and he said, I just remember that morning just hearing the gunshots and running outside and just seeing dead bodies everywhere. They just came to his village and just mowed down everybody with machine guns. So for two years, he's hiding in the swamps. And he said to me, during those two years, I never got bit by a, by a poisonous snake. I never got bit by a poisonous spider. I never got sick. I had the same clothes and shoes for two years 
we would come out in the evening once the soldiers would leave and we'd scavenge for food and then we'd have to be back in the back in the swamps by a certain period of time because the soldiers would come back and Paul says that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us We know Paul himself being stoned, being shipwrecked, being cast out of the city, left for dead, being in prison, being beaten. Like this is not a man who's lived a comfortable life. He's saying, I've seen some things. God has given me some insight, Renee. And the insight that he's given me, I'm weighing the glory that shall be revealed to the suffering that we experience in this life. And the glory is so much greater than the suffering that we are experiencing. I'm going to keep pressing forward. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Just means it's going to be worth it. So we have to have this endurance mindset. And when you're weak, when you want to give up, when you want to stop loving, when you want to stop forgiving, when you want to walk away from the Lord, call someone. And let them be strength for you in the the moment. Let them talk to you. Let them give you a different perspective. And pray. That's your answer to everything. You're right, it is. You're absolutely right, because prayer is not just some religious thing. It's talking to God who listens and responds. Amen. So Breakthrough Covenant Church, let's be known as a body of people who do the hard things. Because we have a great calling on our lives as a congregation, but each one of us and each family also has a specific calling that God wants to use in this earth to bring about his plan and his glory. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus.